0: This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. Well, uh, two topics this week
1: because I couldn't contain myself. They're both uh, highly significant, widely covered, uh, and both are extremely timely. There is a vote recount down at the uh, at the old Suns Arena uh, that we will talk about. And there is uh, was a little and then that is getting national press everywhere. Uh, And uh, the second topic for the second half of the show is as part of the governor's budget, he introduced a flat tax proposal which uh, sort of took a lot of people by surprise. It wasn't talked about very much and then then seemed to get rushed through. Uh, We'll talk about that. I've got multiple guests uh, who are expert in the field. I'll introduce them as we get to them. Um, The uh, two folks that I want to talk with first, Amy uh, Chan has worn many hats, but she was, among other things, state elections director for the state of Arizona. You see the secretary of state out there, but the secretary of state has multiple functions, one of which is to run election and has a, um, a state elections director who is directly in charge of those issues. Amy, we'll talk to you in just a minute. But Jen Fifield has been in the trenches down at the uh, at the Coliseum watching everything that's going on about the elect, uh, election rate code. Welcome to both of you. And Thanks so much. I want to start and ask Jen, if you would, just because we always got to start back at square one. They're counting votes uh, again in the uh, in the in the Coliseum. Uh, How can you walk us through the sequence of events? How did we get here?
2: This is highly unusual, right? We're seven months past the election as of tomorrow, and we're still talking about it. So what really happened is conspiracies started to Uh, Conspiracy theories started to spread right after the November 3rd election. There were many questions about uh, voting here in Arizona because we're such a battleground state and the focus has always been on Maricopa County because uh, we have uh, shifted from a Republican county to now voting for a Democrat for the first time in decades. So the county did multiple audits. Um, The county is led by a Republican board of supervisors who made sure that they were very confident in the results before certifying them as usual. That wasn't enough for the Republican-led Senate who still had questions and wanted to do an audit of these results on their own. So the Senate then filed subpoenas to the Republican-led supervisors trying to get the voting machines, all of the 2.1 million ballots, and voter roll data so they could do their own audit. And so here we are uh, more than a month into the audit that's looking at not just the votes cast through the actual ballots, but also examining the voting machines again after the county already did that through independent contractors, and also looking at the voter rolls uh, to see what they say are uh, dead voters, uh, non-citizens who have voted, um, and check all of the different conspiracies involving the ballots. It's really turned into a very unconventional audit and process
1: unconventional I've heard people use stronger language than that uh, Amy uh tell me, us a little bit about Jen mentioned that there had been two audits done uh by traditional firms that do that what does that entail and did that entail
3: well uh, to my knowledge the audits that they're referring to and and Jen can frankly jump in here if, if I'm missing anything because really she's I mean she's like the most Supreme expert in this, um, having been on the ground since the beginning on this. But um, I think they're including also our logic and accuracy tests that take place after the elections that are provided for by statute. That's just a regular part of every um, every election. Could um, you
1: explain so- that? Uh, that's a technical term that Thank audience you. might not follow. Yeah.
3: Thank you so much. So every as part of our um, election integrity that we have as part of every election, we want to make sure that the uh, ballots are counted correctly. That's just something that we do in elections um, in Arizona. And so to make sure that happens, we conduct um, testing of the equipment after each election. So we have test ballots and we know how those sample elections are supposed to go. And we run those through the election equipment. And as long as those sample ballots come through counted as they're supposed to come out. We know that the machines are counting like they're supposed to. And so we know that they counted the election ballots the way they were supposed to as well. That's kind of the basic idea. Um, And so we do that before the election as well. But what we're really talking about is after the election, we did that kind of what we call logic and accuracy test um, in every county. We do it in every county in Arizona. But Specifically, we're talking about Maricopa County. Um, Maricopa County did that. They also did an additional audit, which was not required by statute, but um, hired uh, companies to come in and um, do a report, an audit of the actual tabulation machines, and kind of look into, um, you know, whether the computer systems functioned as they were supposed to, and. Um, I'm not real tech savvy, to be honest, but, um, that was outside of the statutory requirement, but the board of supervisors, I think seeing that there was so much brouhaha over the election decided to go ahead. And of course, we also know from reporting that president fan personally reached out to supervisor Gates to, to also request such an audit. So, um, you know, this was something uh, outside of, of, you know, the statutory requirements. But again, the supervisors went above and beyond what's usually required to do this audit and kind of prove up that the system was secure and had integrity for the election. Um, and again, that's all part of uh, the the logic and accuracy tests, as well as, oh, I forgot to mention the hand count. There's a, a hand count that's also done It's a sample hand count because hand counts are very time consuming. But it is a sample that is something that shows uh, done by bipartisan boards. They get people from the Republican and Democratic parties to come in and um, conduct hand counts and make sure that the machines counted correctly. So there are all of these different pieces that fit together after every election to demonstrate prior to the official canvas uh, that the county board adopts as the final official election result. Could mm-hmm.
1: you elaborate on the hand count that is normally done? You say by Republican and Democratic. Uh, do they uh, count them together and arrive at a specific number?
3: Yes, they do. So, and then I they,
1: presume they run those same ballots through the machines to see they get the same result.
3: Well, um, in the case of the hand count, the ballots are what's already been run through the machines. Um, and so they they know um, you know what the tallies are. And, uh, at least I think this is, I've never conducted a hand count, so I could be wrong about that specific piece, but the way it works is you do have an idea of what the result is from the machines. The hand counters are basically certifying that, you know, they're going to count it and the number they come up with, if it's different from what the machines come up with, then, you know, there's an issue with the machines. If that makes sense. Um, and you have, or to there's have a,
1: an issue. Maybe there's a bad count, but there's an issue. Well, right, to further and, investigated.
3: And hmm. when you're doing it, you have to, you do have human error. I mean, the the people who are doing this, it is tedious work. It is time consuming work. They do have errors sometimes, and so they have to do recounts sometimes. They'll do piles of ten ballots at a time, for example, to ensure that you know they can go back and recreate. Okay, wait, I just counted ten ballots, but I got you know, only eight votes for Trump or whatever it is. Um, But, uh, you know, you got six votes for Trump, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. why did we get different, a different number of votes? We better go back and count this pile of 10. You want to be able to work in discrete groups of ballots. And and that's kind of how that hand count works.
1: We'll be back in just a moment. I want to ask Jen more about what she has physically observed, because she's the one who's been down there when we return in just a moment. In the picture,
0: let the river run. Let all the dreamers
4: wake the nation. Come, the new
0: Jerusalem. Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: Okay, we're talking vote recount audit. It's going down uh, in the in the Coliseum. Uh, It has been all over the national press. Jen Fifield is here. She has been a national media star of just about every show I've ever watched. Uh, You've been down there. Tell tell us some of the most significant things that you have actually physically observed yourself and what you think they mean.
2: I would love to. So I, first of all, it was very difficult for journalists to get access to this audit, which is um, one of the unconventional parts of the audit, as you like that word. Um, Usually journalists are allowed to observe. I uh, served the first day of the audit as an actual observer, because that was the only option for us serving a volunteer shift for six hours. Um, And during that shift, I had um, observed that Blue pens were on the counting floor uh, where the ballots were. These were only test ballots at the time. The count hadn't started yet. So I pointed that out to, uh, to one, one of the people involved in running the audit for the Senate. These are contractors, not the actual Senate members. Um, they removed the blue pens, and uh, that was just an example of the way that the processes are constantly changing with this audit um, they don't have, they haven't promised that they'll have equal representation from all political parties. Uh, they haven't promised that they're going to have equal representation among the people actually counting the ballots. Um, and so it, it doesn't have that bipartisan review that really makes an audit, uh, you can really count on the audit as being fair, you can trust the audit, and that's the main concern especially from the Secretary of State's office, who has brought up all kinds of concerns now that she's been able to get her observers in there uh, regarding the chain of custody of ballots, the way that they're tracked and handled and kept secure, uh, the way that the voting data and the voting machines are kept secure. Uh, There's concern over who has access to those. The Secretary of State even told uh, the county that they may not be able to use these $6 million machines again because they, the chain of custody was broken. So there's, there's a multitude of concerns from both, uh, you know, the Democrats, but also uh, nonpartisan election consultants, people who do this for a living, who do audits for a living, who have legitimate concerns about the way it's being done. Um, There's still many things that we're trying to investigate at the Republic about this, And, uh, you know, we want to try to get as much public record and as much in the public realm as we can about what's going on so people know when the final results come out what they're looking at.
1: Just a quick question for you, and this may be a tough one for you to answer. But I read your report in particular about the blue pens, which which is significant because a blue or black pen can be used to actually mark a ballot. And they want red pens or other colored pens there so that you can tell what was done by a voter and what was done by somebody else. That and no written procedure. Do these guys know what they're doing?
2: Well, that's not really up for me to decide, Mike. Uh, fair, fair answer. Fair answer. Yeah. You know, what I'm trying to do and what I think all journalists are trying to do is get out as much information about it as we can, get as much access as possible, as much documentation as we can about the processes. Um, one of the things that uh, many are concerned about is whether the results of this final report will be valid and accurate. If it's not, whether the conspiracies will start to grow even further from here, whether this could happen nationally. And so we're trying our best every day to get what information out we can about who's involved and who's paying them and what they're doing.
1: Okay. Amy, you've been involved in in supervising at least audits. Isn't it the case if you do an audit, that means you have a book that has a set of procedures and you follow those and and you're judged according to the extent to which you have followed those procedures?
3: Well, yes. And to be clear, I've never personally supervised an audit because I never worked at the county. You know, The counties are the ones who do all of this really hard work. And um, Maricopa County is very fortunate because they're uh, election director, Scott Jarrett, I think is a actually a certified auditor. Um, and so, you know, they put out some information on Twitter about real auditors don't and, and the things that they see as problematic that are going on with this review that's happening at the Coliseum under the, the auspices of the Senate. Um, you know, I I hate to call it an audit because I don't believe it's a true audit. But um, um, so I, I do think that we've seen some problems with the information that's come out as a result of the reporting.
1: What do you think? Do you think there's any chance either of you want to comment on, uh, and we got like 30 seconds left. Is there any way that this is going to satisfy the folks who are are claiming conspiracy?
3: I don't think anything will satisfy them. You know, I, I, this is something that um, regardless of the results, I, I think you'll see this infighting that we're seeing among ourselves continue. Well past this
1: and and that that I guess is the potential long term repercussion of this. We have election procedures we have audit procedures, all of the origin all of the standard procedures for auditing were done not only once but a second time, not required by law and uh if somebody can always invent an infinite number of uh conspiracy theories, you can never solve that all. God, I wish we had more time for this. But there is another equally pressing issue and we got they're both so pressing, we gotta cover. It. I hope we can get the two of you back sometime. This was fabulous. And this is a story to be continued. We'll return in just a minute in the think
0: tank. Uh, see. News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Well, as promised, uh, not one, but two really
1: pathbreaking, earth shattering kinds of topics this week. Uh, In the governor's budget proposal, uh, uh, there was a proposal to completely revamp the income tax and introduced a flat tax and essentially a, a, a quick a primer on that you have an income level and people a traditional income tax graduated you pay a lower a lower percentage on the first few dollars and a little higher on the next few and a little higher yet and by vote of the people there was an increment in that for people for couples who make over a half million dollars had a three and a half percent surcharge on that that was voted by the people this proposal uh for a flat tax, uh, from my perspective, sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, I go to you, Tony, where, where did this, co-? I didn't hear this discuss anything like this. I you'd normally expect it to be widely discussed and it seemed to be hidden from the public until it was sprung in the legislature.
4: I think, I think this is part of the juicy rehabilitation tour. And so he knows that he's pretty much toast in Arizona politically. And so it, I think what's happening is He's looking for any way to rehabilitate his reputation with some of the larger donors in the Republican Party and to earn headlines nationally for whatever it is that he thinks he's going to be doing next. And so obviously he campaigned on getting income tax down to zero, so it's not totally out there. And he pushed very, very hard against the Prop 208 increase for Mm -hmm. education funding, which, of course – voters didn't take his input on that seriously and they voted for it anyway. And so I think that it's I think we knew something like this was coming, but it clearly is half baked and he can't get Democrats or Republicans on board right now to get this thing passed.
1: Well, he he, and and the politics of this, Chuck, are that you have a one vote Republican majority in each house, which means that a single Republican, leg- assuming the Democrats stay together, a single Republican legislator in either house can kill this.
5: Um- right. And, and so, what <clears throat> the folks that made the re- initial objection, full disclosure, is one of our clients, is the League of Cities and Towns. Um, because in the 70s, um, the state made a deal with all the cities and towns in Arizona. Uh, to not impose their own income tax, their own SIN tax, or their own luxury tax in exchange for 15% of the state's um, in- income tax revenues. Those income tax revenues largely go to support um, the principal uh, funding of public safeties in each cities and town. So um, over 50% of cities and towns' budgets are public safety. And so cutting the state shared revenues to cities and towns, which this proposal would have done, uh, would have cost cities and towns about $225 million a year. Um, So they raised an objection and were fortunate enough to get the ears of some legislators uh, who cared about that and their local communities and public safety, and then therefore eliminated, at least for the time being, the governor's ability to secure enough votes uh, to get the flat tax um, passed. Uh, they've offered, if uh, they currently get 15% of state shared revenues, if they were to give them 18% to hold them harmless from such a tax, they would, redu- they would eliminate their objections. They're, they have not objected to the flat tax per se, but the, the issue was holding cities and towns harmless. And so doing that uh, offset the balance in that, as you said, Mike, a very narrow... Republican majority, uh, and they couldn't muster the votes for a majority plan. That's what they'll be going back to try and do uh, here in um, the next week or
1: so. And and in fairness, to fully flesh this out, uh, there there were two aspects of a flat tax. One is the redistribution of the burden from the lowest to the or from the higher income to the lower income. The other is that uh, this is a massive tax cut of what was that? I saw, like one point nine billion, something like that a year a, a Big chunk of the state's total revenue, um, and uh, and that's why the cities and towns, because they're getting a percent of that. That's why they objected. It seemed to be a, a pretty fatal kind of thing. Essentially, you could look at this as you, you defund the, defund the police. This is it, <laughs> and that's not a, that's not a winning proposition when when the when the left proposes it. it it's no more so when the right. A question to you, Chuck,
5: why now? I think Tony's got this uh, partly right. It's it's the governor promised uh, at his inaugural uh, uh, address and what he said uh, as he campaigned in 2014. The first time was one of his goals was to get the state income tax level close yeah, I mean, to zero uh, as possible. And so what this is here is a fulfillment of that pledge. He has support amongst uh, some other conservative Republicans in the caucus who wanna simplify the state's tax structure. Um, But I would point out this really isn't tax reform on the basis that tax reform uh, uses uh, reform to replace revenues. What they've argued here is that the growth of the economy itself will replace these revenues. Um, as Governor Brewer pointed out in her piece in the paper a couple weeks ago, you know, you're making revenue assumptions right now. They're sitting on a $2.6 billion uh, surplus. Well, um, that, that's based upon revenues that have come in during a pandemic uh, and have been uh, offset substantially, we believe, with $28 billion of federal revenue that's been injected into the system. As they point out as well, they now have begun to tax internet sales. That money came in as well. So it's a highly uh, turbulent time to make revenue projections going forward. And I think some of those legislators who are concerned about this are concerned that those revenue projections are off. Um, And as Governor Brewer found out when she took the office in in nine, the revenue projections from the previous year fell through the floor when the economy fell apart and left the state with a $3 billion budget deficit. And so she was arguing that perhaps the thing to do now is maybe one time tax rate rebates, be a little bit more conservative on the budgeting side and see what's to come next. Uh, As Tony, you know, accurately predicted this governor's not going to be here in two years. And so we want to make sure that they want to make sure that the state enterprise is protected from such a a dramatic change in tax uh, policy.
1: So so two elements I'm hearing one or one spoken and the other I'd add one is that the nature of Arizona's tax structure is that our revenues are highly volatile because so much of it is sales tax as opposed to other taxes that are that are more stable. And the second factor you didn't mention that I think comes into this discussion is because we have a citizen initiative-driven requirement that you, for a two-thirds vote of the legislature to raise any tax, that right. means that if you cut any tax for all intents and purposes, it is permanent. So Right.
5: So, uh, hence, so hence,
1: maybe the argument for one time if you want to lower it well, lower it on a one time rebate
5: in 2010 to increase sales taxes to do that. Um, and so that that's part of the problem in terms of trying to respond to a crisis of revenue is you, you ultimately have to go back to the ballot or get two thirds of the legislature to agree on something, which, as we know, uh, is like, a, you know, a, a lunar and solar eclipse happening at the same time. Um, And so back to your point, though, on the tax reform issue, um, revenues have always gone up. I mean, historically, sales tax revenues have always gone up. There's there's supposed to be three legs of any uh, stool to support public finance. One is income taxes, the other sales tax and the other is a property tax. The state doesn't have a property tax mechanism to fund its general fund. So it relies on those other tools. And so one would argue that we need substantial tax reform to, to catch up with the, what the modern economy is today and how it acts, rather than what we were thinking about doing in the 80s or 90s when we had this same tax code then. But that's a heavy lift. It's a really heavy lift to do. And rather than doing the heavy lift, what, what is being proposed here, as you and Tony accurately pointed out, was just a simple cut. It's a two and a half percent flat income tax which would have cost the state um, about 1.9 billion dollars per year or almost as we'd say 20 billion dollars over the next decade so that that's a that's a daunting uh, ask of the legislature to to take such a bold step um, based on the prediction that well the money's going to come in anyways don't worry um, so I think that's the place where the legislature's stuck right now. The governor clearly wants this and we will see as, this, as the circus plays out or as the play goes on, what happens uh, in the legislature.
1: We'll be back to conclude this discussion with Tony Canney and Chuck Coughlin in a minute in the think tank.
0: The think tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: Okay, we are talking budget, but mostly I think we're talking about taxes. Uh, the governor's proposal is, uh, one, a, a massive tax cut, $1.9 billion is a big chunk of the state's budget. Um, but uh, also to do it with a flat tax, which is, as Chuck pointed out, is not really tax reform. It changes the rates. But it leaves intact what I would regard as real tax reform, which is getting rid of a myriad of uh, credits and deductions and all those things that make taxes complicated uh, and usually masks some uh, self, some uh, special interest uh, favoritism, whereby people, you know, some income is is greater than others and some counts and some doesn't and the like. Uh, Chuck, I'm going to ask this to Tony. Is this or what, to what extent do you think this is? This is something I think that is only possible given that the Republicans currently own the trifecta. They own the governorship and both houses of the legislature. And they're looking out two years and saying, this looks treacherous that we could lose any one. of. If you lose any one of these, then... uh you don't do anything without bipartisanship. Do you think that was behind the rush to do this?
4: Yeah, I think that's a part of it. I, I think, but I think it, uh, an important point here is that while the Republicans have these three, you know, the Senate, the the House, and the governorship, you know, Ducey isn't as popular among state legislators as he was a handful of years ago. And, and so, he's a lame duck. While cities are. Uh, you know, certainly fighting for their fair share. And we know that voters really do, you know, Chuck and I worked on a campaign two years ago together that proved that even the most conservative parts of Phoenix really wanted these types of city investments. And so like, it's just not a popular thing, but the other deal is that, you know, some of the, you know, to bring it back to the audit thing, some of the these sort of fringe right uh, people who are supporting the audit, they're also trying to hold this proposal hostage and, you know, they have released a list of things that they want to cut from the Republican budget, which includes, you know, money for Alzheimer's funding, um, you know, things like infrastructure funding that would be happening in some rural parts of the state. And they want instead some of the money to be allocated to future audits and future things like this. And so I think that there is a path for the governor to work with, the people at the league of cities and towns to find some way to you know, hold them harmless, but then he's going to have to deal with uh, Mark Fincham and Hoffman and these people on the far right who know that the governor is a lot less powerful and popular than he was in the past. And they're trying to use this as an opportunity to make a name for themselves.
1: Uh, Chuck, the other thing about this that strikes me is the people are some of the folks who are going to bear the brunt of this, are folks you've worked with before, which is the teachers. You, it's the biggest single item in the budget. You don't cut the budget 1.9 billion without uh, impacting education funding. You think red for ed is and, and those folks SOS the, the teachers basically are they going to sit still for this, or and will they be a factor? <laughs>
5: Well, there, as I said before, the municipal revenue that flows through on the shared revenue side goes to fund police and fire. So it it is literally toying with an unholy coalition, if you're the Republican, Mm -hmm. of putting police, fire and educators all in the same basket um, and thereby either referring, if it's possible to refer this, depending on the way they write it, or initiating a response to this in the 22 cycle. Um, That that has been discussed amongst the professional public safety unions and with the professional educator unions that this would be a target for that um, if it were to happen. Um, And so it's really sort of, um, there's always been a constituency within the Republican party as we know that is um, libertarian in its orientation and anti-tax. Um, Grover Norquist, all the way back to the Reagan administration. You know uh, that those th- thats all they want to do is cut taxes. Um, they don't want to operate government. They don't want to operate the institution in an effective manner. They just want to cut taxes, and that's the constituency they play to. That's who this constituency is. It's you know, if uh, if this were to happen. You know the governor would probably get his face on the front page of the new republic you know the conservative libertarian magazine economic policy magazine uh and that would be as tony said a, a an accomplishment with for the governor with that segment of the republican electorate but passing a budget as we've discussed has a lot of interest parties associated with it and you have to balance all those and so uh, I think we've observed the governors in his last two term, last two, cy- uh, two years, last cycle. And as, as I've observed, having worked for two previous governors, the, the, it is more difficult. You become less and less effective as you become uh, closer and closer to your exit date. So this is going to test him. He vetoed 22 Republican bills when he got back from the Republican Governors Association. Many of those bills passed with super majorities. Many of those bills were sponsored by people who are supporters of him uh, and his budget. So it'll be interesting to see what the legislature does when they come back. Uh, as one of the first acts to create legislative unity is to send those budgets or those bills up to or with to pass them with two-thirds majorities, which don't require his signature. Then that would that would be an act of legislative independence to show them and to show him that we're an eco-equal branch of government. We're not going to be treated this way. So do you if, think is, if they do that, then it creates another opportunity for this discussion to happen on the budget, which equally may diminish his ability to address his plan.
1: Do you think they could split the teachers from the police, fire, and municipalities, as you pointed out, you could make the counties and cities whole by increasing their share of the take from 15 to 18 percent, which would seems to me inevitably increase the cut to education, because you, you if you're adding three percent into uh, to a group that you, you know used to get 15, now they're getting 18. That's got to come out of somewhere. It's coming out of everything, and you look at the state budget and. Education is the biggest item. That's got to be taken yeah. right it, out of that.
5: They are aware of that. Of course, they're aware of that. They are aware and the budget does address increases in education funding using some of that revenue um, that is surplus, quote unquote, revenue now in one time funding. So they are addressing some of those concerns. <laughs> in fact, there is an <laughs> there is a funny bill. that's uh, part of the budget package was part of this last budget package before it died. Which would have had the state general fund paying that at surcharge, so it would have compelled the state general fund to pay that income tax surcharge for those wealthiest Arizonans, rather than having those Arizonans themselves pay for it. I
1: I, I got to—we're running out of time here. I just got to introduce it. I don't know that anybody can answer this, but I remember this huge pile of federal funding that came into Arizona yeah. and all the other states had a proviso that you cannot use this in order to uh, cut taxes. Now, we probably need a, a, a constitutional or a, uh, well, the, a tax the lower, court,
5: the lower courts have already declared that um, illegal or unconstitutional. Um, it will be litigated. It will go on. But the argument is those those are separate funds and you can't impair uh, state funding on local issues based on federal funds, which are separately and non appropriated
4: I think okay. the thing to remember is what Chuck said, though, which is that this budget is built on sort of invisible money that's coming in from the feds that are going to go away, which is part of the reason why this is such an irresponsible and if make, Especially
1: market. if you make it – well, especially because given the two-thirds requirement, any cut is uh, permanent. Uh, we're way past out of time. Thank you, guys. We'll have you back for sure. This issue isn't going away. Uh, want to reach me mike O'Neill.org is the website it'll allow you to get me uh, by email or t- or uh, any other social media see you next week in thinking